0: Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Jens Land Show where I connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship. My name is Jens Heitland and welcome to the show. Hey Paul, how are you doing?
1: Hey Jens, I'm I'm doing very good. The weather outside here where I am, as opposed to your weather in Germany is a bit nicer, sunshine and 30 degrees. How about you? How's your weather? Shit,
0: raining and dark already. It's it's evening, late evening. (laughs) So where, where are you right now?
1: Right now I'm in, in Ecuador. I've been here for five months. I'm on the Pacific coast and have been working on a regenerative project with Poca Valdivia, which is a culinary gastronomic concept attached to a to a regenerative community called Tanusas. And yeah, I've been exploring wilderness biodiversity as Ecuador is one of the most biodiverse countries in the world. And most probably, I'm pretty sure we're gonna talk about this, but you know, we're in a biodiversity loss crisis. So I came here to see and learn more about more about that. So that's that's the purpose why I'm here. Also, it's good to just be on the ocean and not in a lockdown.
0: Yeah, I can tell you. <laughs> awesome. So before we dive into all of that, plus, of course, innovation and entrepreneurship, tell us a little bit, who are you? What is your story?
1: Wow. Well, long story short, who, who are you, right? That's, that's always, you know, I, I gave you the disclaimer that I'm going to go a bit metaphysical, right? And it's like, in light of the new science, the word I became obsolete. So I am a collection of bacteria and you know oxygen and many other elements but as to my constructed identity right to for your listeners to be able to to connect i have an expertise in in experience design i come from romania i i studied in austria and then um, wrote a book that looks at how to use game design to create uh, memorable experiences called gamification in tourism designing memorable experiences and afterwards, I for four or five years, I traveled the, the globe, and that's how we also met, right, to, to share a little bit more about how to design experiences that are memorable. And in the meantime, I also co-founded the College of Extraordinary Experiences, which is a, a global event that gathers multidisciplinary uh, experts to explore the topic of experience design. And we're happy that you know you were part of this of this journey with us at the college which takes place in a 13th century castle in Poland and through all my work so far i have moved from the design of the memorable to more of understanding how to guide transformations at a very very deep level and i'm taking that right now by exploring a second book and also by doing projects like this one that i mentioned in ecuador but also other other client work
0: yeah awesome yeah and it, and maybe giving a little bit of background we met, met i don't know when was it which year's like 2014 2015 or something so it's it's quite a while back and had some fun engagements in between
1: <laughs> definitely
0: so let's dig into innovation first so what What is innovation for you?
1: Innovation for me is, I would say, rediscovery. I have a feeling when I started uh, researching how to guide transformational experiences, I realized that there is a huge body of knowledge that is forgotten. And sadly, it cannot be transmitted that much through like books or art. It's It's more it has like an oral transmission. So this is more looking at the indigenous communities, for example, or looking at past cultures. And I think it's rediscovery of that essence, right? It's very deeply connected to what, what do we mean by human nature? Because I think it's very easy to start looking at innovation from the, the thing is like, we always need to reinvent something Mm. to, to fulfill some of, the needs that we think we might have, but actually, you know, there are some universal needs that we need to look at. And if we ask the question, what does it mean to to be human? I think we need to look to our deep past. And that's why, you know, maybe innovation for me is, you know, to put it in two words is maybe ancestral futurism. Hmm. So looking at the deep past to rediscover and understand what is essential and to to focus on that.
0: So if if we take this way of thinking into a corporate setting, so you you work, of course, with with corporations, help them to transform and so on. How do you see innovation happening or not happening in organizations?
1: I mostly see innovation happening at the very shallow level. And the the shallow level is called, uh, I see innovation happening in, in the process like we're looking to innovate the process or we're looking to innovate a product or to transform a service into an experience so i think everyone is focusing on the what i would call second degree or innovation and not on the core or first degree innovation which i think it's more of mental health and well-being mm. because innovation um, and i think abraham maslow talked about secondary and primary creativity so for example secondary creativity is what is happening in most companies that I've been in touch with, and you know, also examples that I see in books, which is the things that I just mentioned. And the primary creativity Maslow mentioned is like it's that type of creativity that simply flows from a deeper uh, source that we might even be afraid to explore because it's it's a bit, yeah, it's 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 uncharted territory, right? So. I'm looking at the primary innovation. And while I think everyone is working on the secondary and why is that a challenge is because if you have a manager, a team, a CEO that are in charge of implementing or being creative or innovating, and they're doing that because of the extrinsic pressures and and also internal tensions, Mm. this primary flow of creativity will not manifest. So it will always be a second degree, second level of things. So I think companies need to focus on employees because they are the true source of innovation and have a setup in such a way that is transformational so that innovation can flow in the same way that you know someone who would write a symphony or someone who would paint a painting or someone who would dance would flow at the same level, right? If you would ask the greatest artist, they would never say, you know, it is me that I wrote the book. They would say the book was written yeah, yeah, by something or some other source or force.
0: Love that. So what is that not working in organization in your experience, or at least in, in your understanding?
1: I think the where the focus is at the moment, right? That is not what is working. The focus is pointed towards this secondary degree looking at, you know, at our products, at our market position, at our perception, rather than looking at, okay, at the employees, you know, how are our employees feeling? How how are they showing up to work? How are they communicating to themselves first and foremost, right? Also look in travel and and tourism, right? Let's look at travel and tourism in a way that travel and tourism offers escapes from the day-to-day. And when people come back to their day-to-day, they're the frustrations or the problems or the inner tensions will still be there. So, right. If, if I'm the employee of company X, I would say, okay, I'm going to go on holiday to recharge. We even use this word recharge. My question is why aren't you charged all the time? And that's where the problem is. And I think that's where the, the the focus should be. And it is a very delicate problem. and, And I think that's why most companies are afraid of exploring this because you know, you will ultimately reach a point where you would need to explore trauma, mm. which is the, the main, you know, the main blockage, which is the reason why uh, someone that has power, and we're talking a lot about organizational structures that enable innovation, right? Mm. Is it a holacracy? Is it flat? Is it hierarchical? What is the best structure? Well, I think the best structure is a structure where everyone, every single person feels whole you know, very tightly knit with healing. So I think, yeah, that's where we need to focus. And there, there are people still living in the old paradigm, which they think if we pump more money and we throw in extra incentives, then then innovation will, pump, will, will come out. Actually, research shows, and I think uh, Daniel Pink looked at this, if I'm not mistaken, that if you pump in more money and more resources, you might actually have quite the opposite.
0: Yeah. I was about to say. <laughs> so imagine I'm working in a large corporation and I'm responsible for different topics and I would like to, let's say, get into innovation. I would like to, let's say, the, the, the buzzword trade and innovation culture. Let's say I would engage with you. How would that work? How would you take me as as the leader of that business to, towards the direction of going towards the innovation you describe?
1: I think... It can work in a way that again, as I, and you mentioned the word leader, right? There is this saying that the healing of a person is much easier than the healing of an organization. Mm. So, if you would just be the leader, I would just maybe engage with you one to one in in an experience that will enable you to go inwards and then as an outcome of that you might come back to work in your team and be much more flexible much more open much more relaxed and become much more of a positive electric energy in your team interestingly enough you know if if we think about this imagine that we're somewhere sitting you know drinking tea And or we're at someone's home and we're a group of people or you're in a meeting somewhere, right? And have you ever felt that when when someone else is joining a meeting and they just have such a powerful energy Mm. that it lifts the whole room, that's the the transformation that would need to happen to a leader, that they become that type of energy inside Mm. an organization. And if that type of energy is available, then... Everyone else would also kind of slowly start lifting and and being elevated in the presence of that energy, sort of like how choir works, right? If you have uh, someone that is leading a leading voice, everyone else would be elevated to that level. Mm-hmm. So you would start with that, and then the challenge with transformation is you would need first and foremost as a leader need to be open to that type of exploration because. Yeah. It cannot be forced, right? You know, let's look at an author, for example. Let's look at Harari, right? Many people know him by his work, Homo Deus, Sapiens, and so on. I recently listened to a podcast with him, and he said he does a Vipassana retreat, I think, once a year for one and a half months. Hmm. So he sits in silence once a year for one and a half months. And then he has a meditative practice every day for two hours where he sits in silence. Only then he he can grasp this primary source of nature and being, and then he can start operating from that understanding. Now, a normal corporate manager might have not that well established practice. So, and it's moving on is like, okay, after we take you, as the innovation leader, if you're open to it, to that experience, it could be a vipassana, it could be, you know, there are many methods, embodiment methods like yoga or, or movement, or it can be wilderness, or it can be whatever it is. It, actually, the method doesn't matter, as long as there is that opening and, and, and traveling inwards and, and being faced with whatever material is there, resolving that. Then when you come back, you need to have a scaffolding, right? You need to have like a building. Needs to, you need to have a structure to keep that insight becoming stabilized. So, you know, that's why Harari goes, you know, one and a half months and then every day has a practice. So you'll need to have both that opening and the, the daily practice to be able to keep that level of energy at that high level.
0: Okay. Yeah. I love that because it's so different if, I mean, I've been working in large corporations and that's so not corporate, at least in my experience, uh, I've been working with a lot of leaders and a lot of people and they would say, Hey, that's completely not, we just give us the process, give us the process and it will happen. What What would you say to that?
1: Well, the process is always an internal process. And I was recently talking with Barbara, who you also know, uh, Barbara Neuhofer from the Fachhochschule Salzburg, who's a professor in experience design. We we're co-writing this book and we recently had a call where we were kind of both talking about the client work that we have been doing. And we were like, we always need to go back 25 levels to offer just the lowest type of process that will, Tilt the organization a little bit in that direction, but we all notice that you know we're talking about the next level of the transformation age. Companies and most companies and most organizations are not ready are not there yet are not you know it's like it's like talking about the internet when it just came up. It's like talking about Bitcoin right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. There are some very small companies that are embracing this. But most are still living in the other paradigm, right? Which has roots, very deep roots in you know, it's still in the industrial age. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: But it's also it's it's also quite funny when you then work with smaller companies who are not maybe not that famous, but it's it's way easier, at least in my experience, that they are able to open up. How, how do you see that? Is there a difference between? big corporations and smaller businesses?
1: I think it definitely is a difference. And usually smaller businesses can't afford this level of consulting. But what I've been doing was I have been engaging with smaller businesses for free. Again, the pricing is always different depending who's asking, right? And what what level of impact they're doing. But... I think it it always depends on the individual who is in charge in that small business. If you have uh, the leader that is closed and quite opposed to this exploration, it will be very hard for any other change to happen because what might happen in a smaller org is we can do the work and let's say three employees out of 15 got that opening so their level of healing outperformed the level of healing of the organization mm. so they will not be able to maintain that structure if the structure itself is not unable to change or is very rigid to to change they will become internal change agents and most probably they will try to do something until they get frustrated and leave
2: yeah yeah <laughs>
0: I've seen that.
1: It's a, you know, it's a classic, you know, page five manual, you know, chapter two.
0: (laughs) Taking this and, and looking a little bit of what you have established over time, if we just take a little bit the College of Extraordinary Experience, and I know it's not, the focus is not on innovation, but you have done a lot of innovation thinking to make that happen as well. You build that up, taking the entrepreneurial angle on that, so... Going backwards, how, how did you come up with the idea of creating the College of Extraordinary Experience and how did you make that happen?
1: Uh-huh. That's a very interesting journey to, to look at, Jens. I have been studying innovation in tourism, like like I mentioned, and you know, tourism is focusing mainly on offering experiences. So we have been um, studying as a master's Really, what is the essence of an experience? What does it mean? and one of the main books that we were looking at was pine and gilmore's The Experience Economy, hmm. which says you know how we we looks at the progression of economic value moving from commodities to to goods in the industrial age to to services in a service age to experiences in in the experience age, and then moving towards transformation in in a transformation age so we're looking a lot at this transition of now we are not looking at delivering services that will save time. We're looking at off-staging experiences where people will have time well spent, Mm -hmm. right? And in the future, you will look at time well invested as in transformations. Mm -hmm. So I was researching a lot this topic and in my master thesis, I started looking at game design as being a, a great... Discipline, looking at how to create experiences that are engaging and memorable and merging that with tourism, and wrote this book and after I wrote the book i I got you know contacted by so many people to start sharing more insights and so on. so I got to travel the world and While I was traveling the world at a very fast pace, four countries, five countries a month, I got access to many different experiences now. As What I imagined at the time when I wrote the book to be the experience economy and the experiences that I tried were always very disappointing to me because they were not engaging, they were not memorable and I've attended lots of conferences and, and people, there was always the same setup. Like the setup defined, you know, like we think of the roads, right? The roads are rooted in Something else. The reason why we have roads like they are today, it's because something else happened in the past. I think in the Roman Empire, I don't know. But, you know, the the events were all the same. How? Well, you always have the same setup. A stage and chairs. You know, one or a couple of people speaking to many people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's... Why isn't there something else, right? What's going on? And, you know, why are people spending so much money in the events industry? To make the same thing like you know I would be at home watching Netflix yes and then you know I realized what is the most interesting thing about events well it's the random encounters that you have in the hallway
2: yeah <laughs> and
1: definitely. that's what people are missing now in COVID right yeah. they go to online events but they like to have these random encounters and I had that in mind, also this frustration is that there is nothing out there that is memorable, that is, you know, as I expected it. And then I met Klaus Rastet, who was innovating in the entertainment industry, created uh, live action role-playing events at a grand scale. And he invited me to one of these events called College of Wizardry, which is this four-day immersive experience where you get... Back in the day, the the word immersive was not even known to the world. It Mm. was very niche. Now everyone wants immersive things and when i asked them what kind of immersive thing would you like to have mr Client, they would say, i want just have a better powerpoint and i'm like okay that's not immersive so you know it, it is a buzzword but we still many people don't understand it but i participated in this event where for four days i had a different name i had the cloak and i was role-playing with 150 other peoples in a 13th century castle in poland and it was mind-blowing. It it was like such a powerful experience that I never had. And I was like, finally, this is the thing that I was writing about and imagine that it exists and it actually truly exists. And I got very inspired by it. And I would say, well, this is a great format to take away the, the role-playing, but still keep some of the elements and add others and focus on learning and transform it into a business conference. Um, and then we were lucky enough to to have Mark Ordesky, who's the executive producer of Lord of the Rings, and his partner uh, Jane Fleming, who is a producer of many movies in Hollywood, they wanted to work with with Klaus and then me, because I started collaborating with Klaus for a very long time, and they said that we really love this project that you came up with, the College of Extraordinary Experiences. So they jumped on board and they were the first kind of promoters and sustainers of this event. And because we had them on board, many other interesting people joined. Mm-hmm. And we were bold enough to you know, to take something that existed and completely change it in a different way and say, you know, we think that this is how an event should look like for people that want to learn more about experience design is don't sit in a chair and look at someone talking about it but actually be immersed in the thing that you're learning about. Mm. And then we launched it out there and we we're lucky that you called and say okay we want to book this many tickets and we want to come so thanks to you we actually managed to financially get it off the ground. You were one of the main ticket supporters and so we had the finance enough to put it out. And 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 since you know it's been 5 years now We had four editions and we realized that actually the college, it being such a powerful, memorable event, became for some, and not for everyone, but for some, a powerful event to do that inner exploration and inner knowing. Because as we found out, experience design, which is pretty much a creative art, stems from the inner energy, not, not from a book, not from a process. So, people started exploring quite a lot what's going on inside and then and then slowly being able to manifest from there and Now we have a global community of extraordinary people that you know you and pretty sure some members of your audience are also part of
0: yeah and and somehow I have interviewed on podcasts as well and will interview in the future, which I can highly recommend everyone who is listening to it, check out the website. I will put it into the show notes as well. I think that's one of uh, very, very, very good examples where you start with something and you have an idea, you have a vision, and then you kind of build something and trial and error, basically prototype your way forward. And and I think that's also what I learned from you early on when you have been engaging with us when I was still in the corporate world opening up and understanding that it is basically the culture of the business that will make the difference the people inside the business and you haven't been saying it like that explicitly at that time but it was the outcome of the journey we went through in the corporate world at that time was basically similar to what you're saying today already where it was it is about the people and the people need to transform to be able to do something bigger in an organization and that also means that people will be leaving because they're frustrated they don't see that and so on. So I think that's that's super valid. And I see that now being on the other side where I help corporations with innovation topics in a, in a different way, but similar, where I focus as well mainly on the people. I don't focus on the process. I focus on the people to help them to overcome and, and step out into that world. It's quite interesting that we influence each other somehow in, in a way over the last couple of years. It's interesting to see. Going into what you're doing right now, I mean, I was always inspired by you traveling around the world because I was more the corporate person. So I was already traveling quite a bit, but not in the nomad way like you did. And I always loved that. And then when I heard that, it, like you're in Ecuador since since a couple of months, we need to connect and I need to hear what the story is. So I would love you to tell the story as well. How how did you
1: end up in Ecuador? <laughs> So how did I end up here? Well, it's it's through the college in a way, having the College of Extraordinary Experiences. And, and funny enough, just got an email yesterday from the head of curation at Dubai Expo 2020 saying that the Polish pavilion would like to present the college at the expo, at the World Expo. That's awesome. And, and that's amazing, right? Because we're not even a Polish company, but we're using a Polish castle and we got like curated by, you know, some of the most creative initiatives in Poland. So I was like, wow. So I would say being brave enough and bold enough to create such such a different event or experience will always attract, become a magnet for other people that are as bold or even more bold. Mm-hmm. So my inbox is full and everyone that applies at the college are extraordinary people that are doing all sorts of miracles in the world. And, you know, one of them wrote me three years ago, Charles Michel. He he participated at Netflix final table, made it in the semifinals. And he wrote that he would like to, to come to the college. He was also doing an event in Ecuador. So he came to the college. I went to the event that he did in Ecuador, where I met his partner, who's also a chef who they together worked as a team for net for the Netflix show, and stayed here for three weeks and learned much more about I'd say nature and the connection of food at its source at the root. Mm. And this experience has has touched me ever since. And six seven months ago, I got the call to adventure from his partner Rodrigo, who invited me on this quest to explore how we can uh, create regenerative project that will serve an entire landscape, right? So this is landscape transformation. And as I was very deep in transformation research with Barbara, I was like, okay, so I'm starting to understand how the personal transformation works, right? You know, it's such a deep topic to explore, but I, I started seeing patterns emerge over and over. And then the question that I was asking myself were how can you scale this You know, how do you transform an entire landscape? Mm. You know, and a landscape looks at everything that 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 is contained there, you know, from from the soil to the animals to the plants to the people to the history. So I I accepted this invitation and came to Ecuador and we have been trying to understand through various ways. One of the tools that we employed um, by one of the project members, Vanessa, was complex systems thinking where you're, and this might be also interesting for organizations, right? And, and why isn't the system not changing is you're using quantitative and qualitative data in this case from a landscape, and then you're mapping it out. And then you, what you start seeing is patterns, repeating patterns, like because this circle is happening, this enables this other circle, and then you start to see a dominant pattern. So, what you're trying to do after you do this mapping is disrupt this dominant pattern, so you can make a decision from a clarity point of view and saying, "Okay, you know if we make this, this will have a huge impact on the landscape. So right now, we're still in the four months in we're still understanding the landscape. Rodrigo with his wife, they have been here for nine years now and have did, did lots of impact with regenerative community called Tanusas, and also with, with the culinary activities called Boca Valdivia. But we came here to, to look how can we scale that. And, you know, one of the things that we, we discovered was it's about regenerative agriculture. And I had no idea about this, maybe still niche, but you might be familiar with agroforestry, which mm. is basically a food forest. And maybe this is a great analogy of why there is no innovation, because, you know, and this is what I learned, and I'm going to use the analogies that I learned in this project, maybe to talk yeah. about innovation is the whole world is covered in monocultures, right? And if we look at the big companies out there, they're, they're a monoculture.
2: Yeah.
1: They, you know, right, Instagram or Facebook, or it's, it's always a similar pattern that is incrementally advancing and changing something. And the reason they're all using kind of the same thing, they're all copying each other. There is no diversity. Mm-hmm. So we've lost biodiversity in culture. We've lost biodiversity in what we eat, right? We eat, I don't know, less than 15 crops globally. <laughs> uh, an agroforest, on the other hand, is a a different way of cultivating that you would say in, in 10 hectares or 20 hectares, you would have over 500 different edible species.
2: Mm.
1: Now if you have over 500 different types of edible species, what would happen? Well, A: water retention; B, soil health; C: resilient plants, resilient to climate change as well and to pests, because you know, if you had to have a pest and a virus in a monoculture, right? it will kill the entire thing. Mm. But if you would have an agroforest with 500 different types of plants, well, it might just kill a couple of plants, but they cannot go to the other plants because there are other plants in between that might have other properties that will not enable the pests to go away. So you don't need need pesticides. You don't need as much water. And also there is the protection from the sun. Also, it creates habitats for animals. Mm. Like, I have spending, been spending a lot of time in a prototype of an agroforest in Rodrigo's prototyping place. And, you know, you would see how many insects there are. there. And these insects attract so many birds. And, you know, and then this attracts many other things. So we started looking at, if you go from the plane and you look in Germany, it's all very neat.
2: Mm.
1: It's all very monoculture-ish,
2: yeah.
1: right? And then you also even have the forests, call them forests. they're economic forests. Mm. And even the national parks, they're not wild anymore. They're domesticated. They they were cut down so that the wilderness level has been dom, which is house or dominance. That inner will of the world has been suppressed. Mm. And in an agroforest, you would see everything growing like wildfire, the seeds spreading themselves and so on. So this creates resilience, which is lacking in organizational culture due to similar type of unidirectional thinking. Now, if you have an agroforest, you would ask the question is like, how can I make money out of it? Because you have a monoculture, which is great for scaling. But if you have an agroforest, you have over, I don't know, 300 different types of crops, Mm -hmm. 300 different types of products. How can you make that into something that works? Well, we started asking this and then we we realized that there is something wrong with the things that we consume. So how weird is it that we always buy the same product and we always expect it to have the same taste? That's the major problem. And that's where I would say that's the second degree of innovation happening Mm -hmm. because the primary degree of innovation would be, well, we look at nature and it works by seasons. We look at nature and it's diverse. So then how about we adapt to nature and innovate? from a primary source and, and always have a different taste for this chocolate, right? Depending on the season, depending on, you know, what grows. So then what you would have is you would have a diverse products coming up in the supermarkets and you would have, because of that allowing that diversity, you will also have regenerative thinking coming into manifestation and less fragmentation of landscapes. I, I've been saying a lot. So I, w- I will stop here because I can go on and on. On awesome. this rant. But yeah, it's, it's like we've made everything very uniform.
0: So what is the goal of, of the project you work on?
1: The goal of the project, it has a grand vision. And we're a very small team, very capable team. But we start looking at an entire landscape and we're looking at Ecuador being one of the most biodiverse countries on earth. The environment is collapsing, uh, a biodiversity crisis as everywhere else and illegal logging happening. So we're looking at these dominant patterns that we've recognized. How do we change them Hmm. in order for the patterns not to be destructive, but to be regenerative? So one of the things that we identified was education. So we're looking at creating an ecoversity that would be the backbone for creating something bigger and the ecoversity is both for foreign students but then also for locals to do implement research prototyping and experimentation Mm. in mainly agroforestry in and wilderness understanding wilderness and protecting and regenerating biodiversity by using agroforestry so to give you an example a hypothetical example because this still needs to go through an ecoversity that does prototyping research and so on. But as a vision, if you would have the ecosystems that are fragmented right now due to monoculture, you would take those lands and you would replace them with agroforestry. And therefore, animal movement, wildlife movement can freely pass through the fields mm. because you have this, these patches that act as habitats, and they're not anymore a, desert,
0: a so toxic that, desert. So so that means that, let's say, future state is like, people will go to this ecoversity. they will learn how to do that, and then go back into their countries, into their local communities, and look into how they can make that, or use the same knowledge and doing that in their environment and, and fostering that
1: exactly correct so the, yeah. they will come here The university is this experimentation place mm. so they can be part of experimenting here as well mm. there might be people that will stay here permanent to do longer term experiments yeah. and people that will just come temporary learn connect to the community go back or even be part of, you know, what's called the meta community. And I really love this term because right now, you know, there are many people that say we're in, in sort of like a renaissance
2: mm.
1: because the pandemic showed our true nature. I don't want to talk about toilet paper hoarding. Like you said, when, just before we started, it's easier to talk about the inner states and, you know, the diversity I think will also drive an inner change In the people that would come here in a way that the fragmentation that happens might start healing. And when I'm talking about fragmentation and the first degree of fragmentation, you know, besides the psychological is you're not connected to food anymore. There are so many people in between you and the land that you're disconnected from what you eat every day. So it's going back to, again, what we started with to primary innovation, and that is the land. You know, that's the primary innovation. It's it's food. It's what you eat and how that is produced, right? In COVID, when it all came down to it, everyone was freaking out about food.
2: Yeah, It's it's quite
0: interesting that you're saying that. I'm just reading a book about parenting and, and understanding, and it's all based on, go back to what it was like, couple of thousand years ago and, and your kids will be normal again. So that's, that's a bit to that point as well, because we have changed so much in our surroundings and we're kind of forcing our kids into a certain bucket that they need to be like this and they should be doing it like that. That's where we basically take them out of the normal and do it basically completely wrong. You argue with your kids instead of helping them to grow in, in a proper way and experiment and so on. So just a super good example where this book fits in the same way. Blue, I would love to take you into a couple of questions I'm asking everyone, which are slightly out of context now, but I think with, with, with your topic, it fits perfectly. So if you would have the chance to work with a project that is felt and experienced and, and connected to every human being on earth, what project would it be and why?
1: So if I would have the chance to work on a project that will affect everyone on earth, yeah. what project? So I don't have to think about what project would that be. It's, it's already a given that it will affect everyone.
0: Yes. So if, if, if you could design a project or you could choose a project, what would it be?
1: I think it would be one along wilderness, giving everyone the chance to, to sit in silence in the wild. Because I think that, again, that will bring, bring to exactly what you're saying about the book, right? Bring everyone back to a primary state of understanding. I think if everyone would, would sit quietly in a forest or in a natural environment, ideally wild, even if it's a park for like an hour a day, the whole world would, would be completely different. Always, I think if, it's, if it has a global scale, it needs to be super simple, you know, like the yeah. like button. Even if it's an app or whatever it is. But just the end goal is for everyone to sit down in the wild one hour a day.
2: I would
0: love to do that. (laughs) I might come over. So next question. Where will you be in a year from now? And you can answer that from a personal perspective and or business perspective. Doesn't matter. Or both.
1: I don't think there is anywhere to go. So still here, I would say.
0: <laughs> that's, that's good. Then one question, and I'm really excited about that one, because I've learned from you so much over the last years. How how do you keep yourself up to date and informed? What what are the different sources and ways of you work with to to get yourself informed?
1: I think lately I've started to draw a lot of inspiration and, and information from, from nature. So, you know, I just mentioned the sit spots or sitting down in the wild. And I give you some, some examples outside the obvious. I I read books, I listen to podcasts and other big sources. We interview everyone that wants to attend the college. Mm. We have one hour, two hours interviews with everyone. So I get to talk with a lot of interesting people because I'm one of the main interviewers. Mm. So that's such a, a powerful source of knowledge and information. I would I would see this again as secondary sources of information which are not as powerful as doing a one hour sitting in in nature because that's far more the level of things that you can download from that experience are are far superior to any any other experience. Example, I was doing a sit spot on the beach the other day and just sitting down not moving and watching around The previous day i've seen many butterflies but on this day i was sitting and i saw there are lots of crabs on the beach like land crabs Mm. and they're usually hiding and they only come out after i sit still maybe for 40 minutes Mm. then they, they will not notice me anymore and they will start moving so then this crab started moving and then caught a butterfly Like that was just like chilling on the beach and just caught it and eat it. And I was like, oh my God, like I thought these guys were just eating something from the sand. And that because I never saw that one. I was like, wow. Then another example was I was doing a sit spot in, I think at midnight in the middle of the jungle, sitting on a chair and listening to the sounds of the jungle.
0: Oh, that's, that's
1: for two hours, I just sit there and there's so many sounds and I just call it it's like going to maybe some of your audience or maybe you know about sound baths you know, where they mm-hmm. use gongs. Mm-hmm. That's another good level of like, again, primary degree of information. And I was just sitting there and there's so many sounds. And at one point, you know, after one hour, one and a half, you're in such like a deep immersed state. And this sound that felt like it came from an alien ship started like coming. And I was like, wow. And after two hours of that returning, the energy level and the way you act and the and the ideas that you might have and the, the way you would think are like radically different than any audiobook podcast or movie that one might see or conversation.
0: I love that. I could talk two hours more and listen to you, but we need to keep it tight as well. So it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Where can people find you? How can people connect to you?
1: So people can find me. I'm quite active on Instagram, posting all sorts of interesting Instagram stories at paul.bulensha, which is my first and my last name. They can find the college at extraordinary.college. They can find the book if they Google gamification and tourism. They can find a ton of other podcasts and interviews if they just Google my name. And yeah, they can reach out to me via email at paul.extraordinary.college.
0: Good. I will put all of that as well into the show notes so people can easily find it. Paul, thank you very much and a pleasure to talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for your time as well taking you out of the forest and getting into a digital meeting. <laughs> Thank you very much for being on the show. It was a pleasure. My
1: pleasure. My pleasure. And one more thing, if people want to experience uh, this inner state, inner exploration, Barbara and I did a, a TEDx experience hmm. that, you know, you can share in the show notes for people yeah, we'll to do. go on a 15 minutes journey inside by using sound.
0: Yeah. I so will my definitely.
1: pleasure. Thank you so much. It was great catching up.
0: Thanks. Hey, this is Jens again. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you have listened to, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episodes with your friends and people you think might like it too. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, please follow me on social media or look me up at
2: jensheitland.com. Thank you very much and see you in the next episode.